Today we sit down with Sandy Monroe. He's the founder of Monroe and Associates. We discuss his background from his time starting at Ford to why he'd begun Monroe and Associates and even the current state of electric vehicles. Sandy's new YouTube channel focuses on taking apart just about anything and how to improve its manufacturing process. Lately, he's become famous for his work specifically taking apart Teslas. Most recently, he took apart a Model Y and started looking at areas that the company could improve in its overall manufacturing process and was wildly impressed. In today's episode, we discuss the future of U.S. manufacturing, the current state of electric vehicle manufacturing, how Tesla is standing out in the automotive space, and where the automotive industry is headed next. I'm very pleased. To, I'm happy as a clam to uh, to uh, talk to you today, uh, uh, Chase. So um, I'm hoping that uh, that we can have a good conversation and we can make uh, make happy uh, your fans happy. So. <laughs> well, I, I just want to. We're going to be covering, I think, quite a few really interesting topics today. And it, it was for a long time. I never even knew what you did as a profession or as what your company provided was really a service. <laughs> it, yeah. it totally makes sense. But it, it's funny to think like growing up, I would take apart the, the lawnmower and then try and figure out how to put it back together. And I'd get in trouble for it. But to find out that's even a profession, let alone to do it to the level and uh, yeah. grade that your team does, I think um, is really interesting and trying to looking at how your influence and interest in the industry has really taken off with the work you've done, taking these cars apart from everything from traditional combustion engine to of course, Teslas and EVs, and even work you've done in uh, the aerospace as well as kind of for the military. So I, I think what would be great really is to just kind of learn a bit about uh, your background, where you started and what, what even got you into this industry. Hmm. Okay, where I started. Um... I, I started off as a farm boy. <laughs> so taking things apart, um, um, I grew up in a relatively poor part of uh, Canada. Uh, <clears throat> and most of the farmers had machines that were mm, old and beat up. And uh, so if you took um, a tractor out and uh, all of a sudden it didn't work anymore, um, you pretty much had to fix it. You were pretty much on your own. You're way away from everybody. They never broke down uh, close to home. So I got the opportunity to take things apart and put them back together um, really early in life. And um, and I worked on tractors and combines and uh, and then a variety of different things you pull behind the tractor, implements and whatnot. So uh, I I got an early uh, an early start. So I was, uh, I started working on a farm, not driving tractors and whatnot, but at about nine years old, picking things. Um, so I picked uh, tomatoes and I picked apples and peaches and uh, walnuts and a whole bunch of things. And then <clears throat> as time went by, <clears throat> I started getting into um, actually working some of the farm equipment and things like that. And then when I was about 16, my dad was running a tool shop. And uh, so he took me from the farm to working as an apprentice toolmaker. And I did that uh, from the time I was 16 to pretty much 20, where I got my journeyman's card. So I am a toolmaker. Everybody convinced me to go back to uh, back to school. And, um, and then I kind of like went to the other side of the wall. I was working in engineering for until I was about 30. When I really got out of um, 
the, the tooling industry and went to Ford. I was the chief engineer of a company called Valiant Machine Tool. And we did um, molds and dies. We did uh, automated welding equipment. In fact, all kinds of different automated equipment. And then uh, I went to Ford Motor Company and uh, I worked uh, in the uh, engine division. <clears throat> uh, so I worked at an engine plant, uh, several engine plants, and I got promoted a couple of times and I moved out of Windsor and I went to uh, Dearborn at the uh, uh, powertrain um, staff. And uh, one thing led to another and I got promoted again to um, engine engineering and then from there, I went to finance staff. Uh, so that was kind of kind of an interesting move. And anyway, during that time frame, I bumped into Dr. Demi, um, and that helped me out quite a bit. So my my ability to understand the machines that were putting the uh, the engines together, and actually also the cars putting. But I mean, I worked on lots of car lines, so that gave me a leg up on everybody else. And then getting into finance staff. Um, I knew when they were getting cheated as far as machines were concerned or, uh, or, and I knew pretty much what things should cost as far as, um, as far as the uh, parts that we put in the car. So it, it gave me um, a good chance to move up. But with Dr. Deming, um, I could put a, I could put a number on, on quality. And that also was something that the people at finance staff at Ford were very interested in when I first got going. So these things all contributed to, uh, to getting into, uh, into business. And Dr. Deming actually convinced me that I should quit Ford and start my own company. And that was, um, that was in, uh, 1988. So I started Monroe and Associates in 1988. It used to be called a different name, but, uh, but, uh, but anyway, I started it and, uh, and so we've been we've been working uh, working on basically what I started the company on, uh, tearing things to pieces or reverse engineering designs, costing and quality and whatnot. It's all the same, and we've been doing that now since uh, since '89. So that's like what 31 years. So it's been uh, it's been a good ride. Yeah, and I, I think what's kind of interesting is you have a background where you were exposed to it at an early age. And it does seem like for a long time, manufacturing in the U.S. kind of became more and more of a thing that people look almost looked down upon or just weren't interested in as much anymore. And I, I would really be curious, given that you're kind of in that in that field on the cutting edge, working with a lot of these OEMs, um, for people who are starting or thinking about making that transition uh, to a different education around engineering or around manufacturing, are there any... Uh, maybe degrees or any areas or companies even you'd recommend kind of reaching out to and really pursuing to kind of get that next level understanding of manufacturing, because there does seem to be definitely a large resurgence in interest around that. Uh, and as we were just even talking before this, just a lot of people even know or even realize what it is that Monroe and Associates did, or that that is even a thing that can be done, not only just building and learning where things are being made, but taking things apart to find out where these improvements can come from. Right. So um, <clears throat> um, I used to give um, speeches trying to talk kids into uh, getting into uh, getting into engineering or getting into the trades. 
um, getting into manufacturing was uh, the, the absolute hardest sell. Um, I think though that what, um, what speaks better than, than what I can talk to um, is something that, um, something that really and truly um, we, we should know about. Um, and actually, I need a piece of paper. Um, Tyler, can you go into my office and uh, bring back, um, there's a folded up thing, it's from Toyota. Okay, it's from the president of Toyota. And it talks about, um, it's talking about um, getting tradesmen and whatnot. And it's sitting, so if you're standing at my desk, there's a, a tier of different uh, plastic things. I think it's in the first tier, but it's folded into three. Pull it out, it says Toyota at the top. Sorry, I, I, that wasn't on your list, but uh, but anyway, um, I think this is really, really important. This is something that I'd like to talk to a lot about um, because uh, quite frankly, um, we are really, um, we're really at an impasse. Um, we have a real shortage in tradesmen. Um, tradesmen who really and actually know what they are supposed to do. So we don't have electricians, we don't have <clears throat> pipe fitters, we don't have machine repair guys, we don't have we don't have millwrights. We're really in short supply with these trades. And quite frankly, um, the guys that come from business schools are always saying, oh, let's just go to China. Oh, let's just go to China. Oh, let's just go to China. They, they get that indoctrinated, I guess, at wherever school they go to. Um, they all seem to be the same. They're like, uh, like, I don't know, like robots that, that come out. So, um, this, uh, this has left us in a real, a really bad way, a really bad way. Um, and, uh, and I think that that shortage is going to basically stymie our ability to um, to get back what we gave away to the Chinese. Now, you know, there's lots of people who jumped on this bandwagon, you know, bring it home and onshoring and all this other stuff. They're the same guys that said, get it, get it out of here and and let's give the Chinese everything basically. But maybe help him come up with a strategy to try and figure out how to talk kids into, or young people, into getting into the trades. And, um, and quite frankly, the, uh, um, the, the start, if you like, of getting people into the trade should be in, uh, should be in public school, uh, like the grade school. And, uh, unfortunately, those teachers, um, they don't, they don't understand manufacturing. All they know is it's dirty. And so consequently, they wind up getting degrees that are useless. Um, you know, they, 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 they get a, a university degree that allows them to become the reader at Walmart or something. <clears throat> Many of the people that get degrees, I mean, it costs a lot of money and it goes nowhere. But if you're a plumber, I mean, you can demand whatever you want. If you're an electrician, you can de demand double. But if you're a tool maker, uh, you're, you're, you're in the rarefied air and that gives you a really good, um, it gives you a really good, um, uh, a really good salary, but it's not sexy. So um, that's the problem. And uh, our, our school system basically, basically turns its nose up at, uh, at tradespeople. They, they just think that they're useless. They, that, that whole, that whole process is of no value. It's better to be a, a shoe salesman than a, than a plumber. Shoe salesman makes 
you know, 30 grand a year, a plumber makes 130,000 a year. So that, that kind of, um, that kind of, it's sliding over the heads of the kids. They get lied to continuously. And I used to go and give um, speeches at high school. And after I found out that all the kids want to do is they want to be singers and dancers, and they're all convinced that they're going to be the next football hero or basketball hero or whatever. They haven't got a chance. I mean, it's really, uh, it's really tough. It's really too bad, actually. Yeah, I mean, kind of going off of that with the education system, you, you've spoken a lot about Dr. Deming in the past. Can you yeah. share maybe a couple of things you learned from him that really stuck with you, and that's and kind of go from there of what led you to launch Monroe and Associates. Well, while we're still on the uh, topic of uh, kids in school, Dr. Deming was not a fan of conventional schooling. Um, he felt that, um, that schooling should be the joy of learning. Everybody, everybody should wake up in the morning, every kid should wake up in the morning and say, oh, I can hardly wait, wait to get to school. When in actuality, my first reaction was uh, going to school was like, I'd rather have my fingernails pulled off. I hated, uh, I hated school. And because it was always full of the same muck, things that I didn't care about or um, things I wasn't good at. If you're technical, if you're a technical bend, you're classified as a dummy in school. After all, geez, you know, can't spell. Now we got spell check. Right. <laughs> if I would have had spell check as a kid, I could have probably wound up with uh, good marks. But at the end of the day, these kinds, these are the kinds of things that Deming was 100% against. His focus was that everybody should feel very comfortable about learning new stuff. Every day should be an exciting event. And, um, and he was definitely a friend of, there, a, lot of the, a lot of the head union guys used to say that this guy was trying to shut down uh, the factories and, and he, was, uh, he was a trader because he went to Japan. When in actuality, he got fired by Ford. Um, the whiz kids tossed his ass out, and he um, he wound up going to uh, going to Japan at the behest of uh, General MacArthur. General MacArthur was the guy who brought him in, yeah. and um, and he basically turned around the whole country um, with his philosophies on quality. Because uh, when I was a kid growing up, mm, Japan equaled junk. Yeah, you anything that would came from Japan was just absolute trash. I remember when I was a kid growing up, my dad smoked, and on our table we had this lighter. It was about that tall. It was silver, and uh, but it never worked. Never, you know, you could you could flick it all day long, and never it never worked. And my dad said that that was an example of Japanese junk. That would have been a, I think it was a present, uh, a wedding present or something that somebody gave him. And, um, and he just, he used to use it all the time as a good reason why everybody should buy American. <laughs> so there you go. So, uh, but when Deming got done with them, I mean, he turned them around completely. And uh, when he came back to the U.S., he had a bit of a chip on his shoulder. He definitely knew why he lost out. And he was no friend of MBAs. Uh, uh, he, he really didn't care much for those guys at all. And, but he made a big difference. I mean, um, in the, in the eighties, when I came to, uh, when I came to Ford in, uh, um, 
1979 or 1980 or something like that. When I came there, oof, the quality was absolutely terrible. Uh, there was guys that were uh, putting engines together. Um, I remember uh, looking at a guy doing a bottom dress on an engine and he had little teeny screws that he was supposed to run in. And instead of using, instead of using a screwdriver, the power screwdriver, he just used a hammer. He said, ah, they filled me up so much. I can't waste my time with, uh, with screwdrivers. And I thought he was just jerking me around. I thought basically it was a driver that, but when I picked it up, no, it wasn't. It, it looked like a, like a number 10 screw, a quarter inch screw, something like that. I couldn't, I couldn't believe my eyes. I, I never saw anything like that in the, in the machine tool world. We're looking at like a thousandth of an inch and these guys are just looking at how do we tool. push this crap out the door? And, uh, <laughs> and that's, that was the big difference. I mean, there was a huge difference between the Japanese and what we had. And Deming in his speeches, oh my God, he'd rail onto, uh, onto, uh, uh production supervisors and, uh, plant managers. Wow. He, uh, he just had no mercy, no mercy at all. He was, he was, he would really rail into them. The other guys that he used to uh, really pound on was um, executives that didn't get it as far as he was concerned. So um, he used to say, um, he used to say, um, um, if you want to kill a snake, don't cut off its tail. And he said that all of the, uh, all of the problems associated with labor and whatnot was all management's doing. So uh, and poor quality, he said, was driven from the top down, not from the bottom up. So it was, he was definitely, uh, he definitely rang, he sang a different song than anybody we had ever heard of. And he was brought in by, um, um, what was his name? Philip, Dr. Philip Caldwell. He, Philip Caldwell brought, uh, Dr. Deming in because the Ford family had taken a giant step backwards. Even Henry Ford wasn't, uh, he, he basically let Philip do whatever he wanted and Philip brought in Dr. Deming and man, what a difference. Things changed like you can't believe. There was a thing called blue ribbon committees that he put up and basically they were, they were a way of getting rid of the old way of doing business and, and bringing in the new way. So, uh, he was, he was a very, he was a very, very, he thought diametrically opposite of everybody that was, uh, that was doing their job in um, in the uh, in the early 80s. That's a fact. He he was like uh, a total a total breath of fresh air. Yeah. Speaking of what you kind of brought up when it comes to like the perceptions back then of Japanese quality, there's a lot of perceptions right now. Like essentially anything that's made in China, and I, I think maybe for a while that there was some truth to that. But there's a lot of perceptions that if it's made in China, and this I would say is probably especially true with electric vehicle technology, there's a lot of people who just want to automatically dismiss it. Would you say that it's kind of the same story repeating or is China also still has a ways to go? I, I'm just curious if there's any, if that's something you're seeing as well. And if not China, what are some of these countries that are kind of leading in these areas that are maybe getting a bad rap when they really shouldn't be? Well, um, when you, when you, I've been to China many times and I have a, I have a Chinese operation. And in some, some areas, um, the, the Chinese way of doing business is probably, it's very counter to the way we think about things. And I'm quite sure that, uh, that, um, if, 
if it was if 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 guys from the factories were allowed to maybe travel to China and have a look at what they do and how they do it, they'd come back and complain bitterly because the factories that they have in China are spotlessly clean. And um, and granted, when I first went over there a few years ago, the um, <clears throat> um, the number of people doing work and stuff like that was uh, was just absurd i mean there were guys standing next time next door to guys and they really weren't doing that much uh, but but the labor was cheap now labor is kind of expensive the um the designs of the vehicles are pretty good i uh, i will tell you that um i was looking at uh, uh, some product from neo and some product from uh, byd and cherry uh, i saw uh, and as you know, uh, many of the European car companies are now owned by the uh, by either the Japanese, uh, sorry, the Chinese or the um, or the Indians. So, I mean, Land Rover Jaguar, Land Rover is owned by uh, owned by Tata and uh, Volvo uh, is owned yeah, by Geely and right, yeah. yeah, Geely owns quite a bit. Of, yeah, so they are um, <clears throat> they're not they're not the the Chinese of even five years ago. It's a totally different ball game. And quite frankly, most of their, uh, most of their, um, new bring them over. And, uh, and the next thing you know, we've got, uh, we've got something that went from, um, went from like poor to outstanding. And I mean it sincerely outstanding, uh, uh products. A good example of one of our companies, we, we do work with uh, lots of different things. And uh, one of our companies is, um, is Mydia. And they make, uh, they make white goods like so uh, uh, washers and dryers and stoves and things like that. We went over and talked to them about product design and they went from number three to number one in the world. They, they, they rebadge things to, to make it look like it was made in the States, but it's not. It's made over there. Almost everything is made in, in China when it comes to white goods. So um, they, um, um, and, and when I went over, my first, my first, the first thing that I started doing was talking to them about um, waste and, or muda, as, as Dr. Deming used to say. And we just basically taught them statistical process controls, taught them where they, you know, uh, building something four or five times isn't the right way. It should be right first time, single piece flow from Dr. Ono. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that we do and they just, they sucked it up like a sponge. And you went from, in essence, a total inefficiency and poor quality to, um, you know, best best in class. They, they, they did a good job, a really good job getting things done in a good and right way. So China is not what you'd call, it's not, it's not China cheap anymore, that's for sure. And then when it comes to tooling, oh my God, I, there's, uh, they, they make some stuff, some plastic injection molded parts that I have no clue how they, how they, uh, how they made them at all. None. I, I don't know how they could crank out a mold that, that would have that many motions to to make all these things happen, and I and that's that was my trade, and so they they basically uh, learned and then eclipsed um, 
most of what's going on here in the U.S. Yeah. So it's it's think, a it's a big change, a huge change. Yeah, uh, and I think that just to kind of follow up on that before we kind of start talking more on the electric vehicle side, and just kind of finish up around uh, creating Monroe and Associates, kind of having all of this. Uh, experience, whether kind of working at Ford and around Dr. Deming, and obviously now doing a lot of work with other OEMs. Can you share, uh, I, I know I've seen it on some of your videos and other material, uh, can you kind of share where the uh, slogan value, quality, and profit comes from? Um, actually, that came as a, as a result of um, a speech I gave, and um, um, I had a moderator, forgotten his name, but anyway, he was quite good. He's really a smart guy, um, but but he was always he was not throwing you under the bush, but certainly making you keep. He kept you on your toes. And um, this is when we used to have huge um, engineering uh, uh, consortiums and whatnot, and um, or conferences. And um, and uh, I it was called this one was for IBM. It was called the Blue Tour. Anyway, and this guy came up and uh, I'd given my speech on something that we had designed for IBM or redesigned for them and showed them how things would happen. And he said, Sandy, I want you to give me three words that tell the audience um, how, how um, IBM should, uh, should function. And I stood there for a second and I went, what? Three words? How? Three words. And so I said, well, first off, every engineer is, is in charge of profit. So first and foremost, you should think about profit. Secondly, um, is the customer, the customer interface. Um, the customer interface has to be value. You have to get value for whatever you're, you're paying for your product. And then um, the guy, and, uh, and he said, well, how do we get there? And I said, well, that's point number three. The only way you can hit your target is by having a high quality product. It has to look good, it has to function well, and it has to be built with quality and a profit. And that came right out of nowhere. So I didn't have that planned. And uh, and when I got done, when he, when he finally let me off the stage, I wrote all that stuff down. And then the triangle that people see is not a it's not a triangle sitting on its ear. It's a less than symbol. And and again, uh, that, that came from somebody else. And they said, well, how do we get to where we need to get to? And I, I walked up to the whiteboard and I just put a less than symbol down on the, on the board. And I said, like that. And he said, what's that? And I said, less. I want less cost. I want less quality issues. I want less labor. I want less on and on and on. And I, and I said, and that's how you get to a, a high quality product. And I, luckily I had lots of examples in those days and I just showed them, here's one here and here's one here, which one's better. They both look the same, but this one's got five parts and this has got 500 parts. Which one do you think is gonna fall apart first? And then I talk about Deming and you know, every incident that you can possibly have is a potential for poor quality. So it, it, that's kind of like the, the, the symbol and the words came together in like the first, month or so that I was, uh, that I was working. So. We, and, and kind of just following up on that, you're, we were kind of talking before uh, we started recording how you're getting a lot of requests and kind of interest from OEMs about these reports and just trying to find out more. If, 
if they wanted to find out more, kind of uh, submit a question, where would be the best place for they uh, for them to do that? Well, if uh, if they want to find out more about uh, Monroe's reports, probably the best thing to do is um, sales at leandesign.com. That's the that's kind of like that that tags you straight into the people who can help out with uh, with the reports and whatnot. Um, but actually, uh, the reason I was bringing that up is because today we did a virtual tour for one of the bigger OEMs, and um, they had bought a small report. Um, but the report um, was at a very high level. And they said, well, what does all this stuff mean? And so what we did was we gave them a virtual, like a Zoom a Zoom meeting and uh, took them around and showed them different things. And they were a little bit blown away. Now, they already bought the small report. Now they're looking at how do I get the detail I need in order to compete? Because quite frankly, um, anyone that gets into the, into the ring with Tesla, um, they should be armed with a lot more than just um, good intentions. Um, if they don't understand Tesla in totality, if they don't understand what are they doing at every different level, and, and of course, you're going to always have the guy saying, yeah, but they can't make body gaps. And Okay, fine. That's not something I want to even discuss. That means nothing as far as I'm concerned. What do they do with electronics? What are they doing with their electric motors? What are they doing with the, uh, the battery packs and whatnot? What are they doing with harnesses? How are they controlling their costs? How do they do what they do that basically you can't see, but really makes a difference to the bottom line and to the quality? And that's where you really need to know what's going on. Um, even we've even found like little tricks, uh, technology tricks in, in things like in the seats and in the instrument panel. People aren't quite cognizant of the fact engineers that are working for OEMs they're not cognizant of just how much of an impact this and have and how much cost is associated with these things and how much cost they're reducing. I mean, <laughs> the Tesla Model Y costs less costs, less than the, than the Tesla Model 3. It costs less. Well, <laughs> people, people say, oh no, that can't possibly be. And they give me all this razzle dazzle. And I said, show me your data and I'll show you mine. I got it all here. I can, I can tell you how much every screw in this thing costs. I can tell you everything, the cost of everything. And I can tell you the materials associated with everything. You tell me what you got. Well, I think stop right there. You're lying. You didn't. So, and I mean, that's kind of like the way it works. I, I don't really understand why anybody <laughs> would go to a gunfight with a, with a knife. I mean, really at the end of the day, you should know exactly what's going on with Tesla. And, and quite frankly, okay, we did that report in April uh, we, we started that, that tearing the car down and whatnot. We got it done probably by July or something. And they've already made changes. They made a lot of changes. Okay. Cause we had one of our customers is uh, TI automotive. TI automotive come in with their car and we looked at it and we found changes everywhere, all over the place that they've made running changes. So we bought our, we got our car on April the 1st. They got their car on uh, July 12th or something like that, something. Okay, April, May, June. And by July, they had implemented a whole bunch of changes that we never, we couldn't dream of. 
I mean, it was amazingly fast. Tesla moves at the speed of thought. And um, would you and, say that's uh, kind of one of the, the big misperceptions you're seeing around kind of EV technology? Even, I mean, Tesla obviously is probably the prime example of it. But yeah. uh, even some of the Chinese EV automotive companies, right. they're taking this, the, the product and the feedback loop just seems to be so much quicker. Are there right. any other kind of misperceptions about EV technology that you think that it's, it's pretty much here to stay and it is what's moving forward? Yeah. Well, I predicted that we're going to see a crossover in 30, 2030. Um, a lot of people thought I was uh, like full of crap. But uh, when, when you've got Europe, saying like france saying okay if you want to drive a uh, an internal combustion engine that's fine but you're going to pay a fine of fifty nine thousand dollars that's a big chunk of change i mean how many people and that's coming up real soon and then you've got uh you've got california saying oh yeah um if you want to if you want to drive a um uh, a, a nice vehicle that's fine, but in 3035, we don't want any more in our country or our, well, it is a country, in our state, okay? We don't want any more in 3035. You don't think for a second, do you, that somebody's gonna turn off the switch and almost oh, make, I mean, really? You gotta have, you gotta have a 10 year advanced plan for that kind of stuff because if California does it, who else is gonna do it? And if the tide is turning, okay, um, are you going to be a fool and stand in front of the tide and say, I'm going to hold my hand up and, uh, and I'm going to command it to stop. Yeah. Time and tide waits for no man. And I'm telling you what, there's going to be a lot of surprised executives in two years. A lot of them. If they haven't, if they haven't figured out how to turn uh, their own little organization, that 20, <laughs> 2025 is going to be a real nasty year, a real nasty year for a lot of people if they don't move yeah. fast. I, I, I completely agree. Are there are there any kind of like things in particular beyond just kind of the idea of people putting their he uh, heads in the sand? Are there any kind of um, changes or challenges, especially that you think, um, let's say, let's say you're an automotive company and you realize, okay, we need to make this change. We'll go to EVs and it's clear it's not as easy as some have thought. What do you think are kind of a couple of the, I, I keep kind of going back to misperceptions, but what are those kind of surprising challenges for traditional OEMs to go from uh, internal combustion engine vehicles to electric vehicles that might be counterintuitive or are just all new for them? It seems like Volkswagen, a few others, uh, software and how big of a piece that's playing into it was kind of a challenge maybe for them, but they're, they're quickly learning. Are there any others you can share? Well, the biggest problem that they've got is what do I do with all these assets that I've got sitting around? And what do I do with all these people? I mean, it, it's, a, it's a pretty big deal to make an engine or a transmission. I mean, now, if you, if you look at the uh, gearbox that you get with a traction motor, you've got an electric motor, and it doesn't take much to make one of those. And then you've got a gearbox with uh, three or four gears in it. And a couple of shafts. Boy, that's a big, big difference. A huge difference between what they have now and what is coming down the pike. What do you do with all those people? How do you uh, how do you convert plants that are huge but now don't have to be so big? And really and truly, it used to be 
you know, they used to, we used to have Harvard guys come down all the time and blow in our ear saying, when I was at Ford saying that uh, focus on your core competencies. You must focus on your core competencies. What are your core competencies? And they'd have these things and these big get-togethers and I'd be sitting there rolling my eyes going, how many times can I hear this? But it always boiled down to the same thing, powertrain and body and weight. That was it. Okay, now, now, now what's your core competency? Well, you can keep body and weight, that's good, but it's changing a lot, especially with Tesla coming out with big castings instead of like a, a gigantic, uh, a gigantic uh, uh, press room with, with an even bigger um, assembly area. That, that's gonna change a lot, okay? And uh, so the core competencies are changing rapidly for body and white. So the next thing is uh, powertrain. Well, how many of them make their own electric motors? None. Uh, oh, let me rephrase that. We make them in the lab or we make a lot of them over here, but they're, they're, they're not really in that. They're not, they're not in, they're not producing like Tesla is. And then, and then you're, you're looking at, well, uh, you know, the battery pack, well, that's your gas tank. And if you don't have something really good for a gas tank, you aren't gonna go anywhere. Well, we'll just buy them off our friends at LG or Samsung or, or, or Romeo or wherever, right? Anywhere you wanna go, you can go and get batteries. It's just a handful. But is that buying from somebody else a core competency? What, what are they gonna do? I mean, really at the end of the day, what are they, how are they going to make this transition? This is not, you know, hey, let's just take a battery and stick it into one of our existing products. We'll put it in between the longitudinals and call it a day. Yeah, Sherry, that, you're a genius. That doesn't work. Uh, yeah, and I, uh, I, I, I already tried it. I, I completely agree. That's that's what I found really interesting is, as you were mentioning, there's been this huge transition towards kind of subbing out, working with suppliers, and there is a role yeah. for that, obviously. But what's interesting to me, um, from kind of a perception and psychological and marketing side of stuff is the more these companies, what used to be kind of their moats and protective business models, like you said, the body and white, the um, ability to engine. craft and bring the engine together. Now that's no longer there. And they're more or less becoming marketing brands selling a different, uh, slightly different uh, infotainment system, slightly different colors. And these, right. there's no longer really a great value uh, difference or kind of clear version that makes a difference to the customer. I think that's really where Tesla has really stood out, isn't it? Its ability to obviously yeah. kind of become an underdog and now they are the go-to like essentially, I don't like to compare them to Apple, but they are kind of getting that same perception right. where it's, but, they are the definitive, even though other people might do it similarly, they are now the one that's kind of taken as this is the benchmark and they continue to push it. Right. Um, with that, I mean, I, I think we've, we've shared some of the things and you mentioned your point of like 2030 uh, when it's going to kind of cross over. Can you share on another level, like what, how is Tesla kind of impacting the automotive market and this kind of push towards EVs? Like um, you mentioned the casting, what, what are the areas from a technology standpoint that really is making them lead the way? Well, their electronics are to die for them. I mean, um, nobody has anything quite like them. Uh, they, uh, they're half the size with about triple the power. 
Um, in fact, if you look at ADAS, the ADAS unit, we're pretty sure that they're at four and a half um, right now with the software that they've got. They may be even at five with the hardware, but uh, but they're not implementing it. And and that that rash or the the problem with level five is lawyers. I mean, you get into things like have you ever heard of the trolley uh, 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 predicament? They, is that who who it has to save theoretically or? Yeah, or if there's someone in front of the trolley. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So can you explain it just in case for anyone that might be listening who's not familiar with it? Yeah. Okay. So you are standing uh, in front of a, um, uh, a stick or a controller that can, um, that can uh, change the trolley's direction uh, uh, in three different ways. So if you, uh, if you let the trolley do what it's doing right now, it's going to slam into about a dozen people. If you move the trolley to the right, um, that trolley will smash into um, a barrier. Um, obviously the people in the trolley are gonna have a bad day. And then if you switch it to the left, then you're gonna run over a kid. He's gonna be on the trolley and he can't be saved. So do you run over the child? Do you smash into the people because they're, they shouldn't be on the track? Or do you drive the trolley into a, um, a deadhead. Um, okay, so what do you do? All right, well, any human being has got like a split second to make that choice. Um, and you know, some bonehead, I, uh, I was listening to uh, someone give this speech about the trolley example, and some bonehead said, why'd you just step on the brake? Yeah, good job. Uh, so anyway, the, at the end of the day, this is, this is the thing that lawyers are salivating over. Can't win. These are no-win situations. Well, the lawyers can win, but they're no-win situations for the, uh, for the software. And um, these things have to be ironed out in the courts prior to level five being accepted um, on the planet. But I think that probably the Tesla is already sitting there comfortably at uh, at level five it's just that they don't they don't they don't push it out i think they're at level four and a bit right now uh, based on my experiences with driving or having the car drive uh, yeah but but that's number one so the number one thing is the electronics and the software that goes along with it um second would be powertrain um i like their electric motors better than everybody's they've got some magic stuff inside the castings. Um, I already had a couple of guys come back and tell me, oh, we look, we, 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 we couldn't find it. Yeah, you didn't look hard enough because we looked at the Model 3 castings and we looked at the Model Y castings and that little teeny tiny ingredient, that little alloy is in both of them. Those, that alloy helps, um, it's probably helping in two ways. It probably helps the flow of the uh, aluminum but it's, it's also doing something, it, it, it refracts somehow and, uh, and makes a difference to the, uh, uh, to the performance of the electric motor. So I like the electric motor um, a lot. And then I think they have the best, they had the best batteries on the planet with the 2170s and now with the 4680s, uh, it's gonna be a lot of catching up to do. So there are some companies Who've, uh, who've got uh, solid state batteries um, that, that I've looked at and I'm pretty excited about. Um, 
but but I haven't seen anybody that can compare with what uh, what Tesla has uh, has accomplished. Yeah, I, th I think one of the big announcements around that that really wasn't hit on was just the fact that obviously there's the greater density, uh, there's the great weight savings, but really everything I'm seeing is it's actually its ability to allow the cars to charge so much quicker because of its heat dissipation that right. I don't think people are fully realizing that I, I a lot of people believe just like electric vehicle drivers are kind of the small niche. There might be some more people, but once you kind of lower the barriers to the point at which it's almost as easy and quick as filling up a tank, it just seems like the uh, value to go across that, to that chasm and finally buy an electric vehicle has pretty much been removed. Um, going, going beyond the batteries, you've also kind of mentioned uh, repeatedly the casting technology and kind of the alloys they're using. And I think a lot of people don't fully understand what makes this so different when it comes to the castings. And I know you've said it a couple of times on your show, but if you could just kind of really quickly just sum up why this is so important and why this is so different, especially for the automotive industry, uh, I, I think that may be really help a lot of people who are listening. Yeah, well, Tesla is inventing their own alloys. They they don't uh, they don't just subscribe to whatever's in the marketplace. They um, they order um, they order their aluminum, and uh, it's all special special batch, and then they shoot it themselves. And I know to make the um, to make the uh, the castings that are going into the Model Y right now. Those are shot in milliseconds. People think that that's baloney, and uh, I did initially as well because I, I never heard. I don't. There's how do you make uh, aluminum so viscous that you could shove it in that fast? But uh, but in essence, they're made in milliseconds, and um, it it basically builds that whole area, the whole back end of the car, in a millisecond. Um, there's virtually no machining done on it. There's some uh, trimming that has to happen to get rid of the get rid of the runners and gates and whatnot. But uh, that's a millisecond, or let's say that let's say they can get them a second at a crack, okay? And then with the trimming and stuff like that, maybe another I don't know. Let's say at the outset, 30 seconds, all done. Okay. If I've got 50 pieces that I just replaced. That's 50 dies that have to uh, have to be stamping product, and they're progressive dies. You can't just bend that aluminum into one or that steel into one shape that quickly. Um, then you got to be um, uh, you got to take those pieces and you got to put them together in a fixture, and you got to weld them, and then you've got to on and on and on. Sometimes it's more than welding. Sometimes you have to put a you have to put uh, an adhesive or something in between them to weld them together, so they. Uh, like an adhesive or something. All these things have to happen. It's going to take a lot longer than 30 seconds, a lot longer. But when I get done with the casting, it's going to be dead nuts perfect. When I get done with the weldment, it could be in a lot of different directions. Things happen when you weld products and stamp parts and stuff like that. It's different than one piece done and Tesla has gotten to the point where they move the material so quickly, there's no induced stresses. And with no induced stresses, it means that mm, it won't warp. 
And if it doesn't work, guess what? Um, <laughs> it means it's going to be perfect every time. I don't have to heat treat those things. Mostly people have to put it into a T6 heat treat. And when you do that, then the induced stresses that you've got come free, but then you, eh, you twist the uh, casting. These don't have to be heat treated, so they, they don't have to, they, there's no chance that you're ever going to warp anything. <laughs> Their casting technology is phenomenal. And, and in essence, this is a result of, uh, of their, like their outside interests. When I was at Ford, we had an aerospace uh, division. We got rid of that because uh, some guys from Harvard came over and said, focus on your core competencies. <laughs> okay, good. Get rid of seats. Gone. You should not be doing anything electronic. Get rid of that. You don't need it. It's nasty. They're going to save money. I can remember a guy uh, giving a speech when I was a uh, consultant with, uh, with General Motors. And this guy was talking about the ultimate vehicle and uh, the, the, the direction that, uh, that GM should try and think about going. And in essence, what he said was um, that <laughs> they would buy all the pieces and then from somebody else. And then we have somebody else put them all together and there would be one guy, one guy, that's it, one union guy. And he would have the GM badge, whether it was Chevy or GMC or whatever. And you go right on the nose of the car. Done. Benito. That's it. Are you kidding me? I mean, I remember listening to this guy and I was sitting next to a vice president and, um, and he leaned back and he, he said, I, I may have to sell my stock because I mean, this is like stupid, absolutely stupid. But, um, the guy in charge thought it was a brilliant. He, this is great. We can get rid of all the people. We don't have to manage anything. Yeah, right. All we have to do is one part. Um, you have to be careful about um, hiring consultants sometimes. But I, I mean, just going back to, it, it seems like a lot of the things that were announced on the battery day, whether that be the castings or the batteries, uh, they use the example of learning from like the bottling and uh, yeah. manufacturing, the bottling manufacturing industry really just to streamline and minimize labor. And all of those points you brought up are really just amazing ways to deliver. Uh, I mean, even if they deliver the same product as far as what it can deliver between stress and weights, that's amazing. But it's really just how quickly it's done and how much they save in labor that I right. continually impressed well, with. Again, when I worked for Ford, uh, just prior to coming to Ford, we did a great big giant canning line for Green Giant. And, um, and uh, uh, at Ford, we were talking about what do we need to do in order to, um, in order to increase our speeds and our efficiencies and stuff like that. And I was in a meeting with uh, a guy named Max Derosa, brilliant guy, VP of uh, powertrain at the time. And um, I brought this up and I was showing, you know, some pictures and whatnot that had been taken during the, the, the build of this, uh, of this green giant uh, uh, canning line. And my boss's boss jumped up and um, started, uh, Sandy, we don't wanna have anything like that. We need high quality. And uh, Mr. Jurosic. I don't, I don't think you understand what quality is. What happens if they find 
um, a hair in a can of corn. They throw away, a, you know, a month's worth of production. These are hundreds of thousands of cans of corn because of that contamination. Don't tell me about quality. He went crazy. Um, and uh, we all just sat trembling because the other, he had a, another name, Max the Axe. Um, he did not like stupid. And if you were stupid, he, he wanted you away, far away from where he was. So um, he tried not to say too many dumb things, but the canning industry, they move wicked fast. The mostly can lids and stuff like that, they aren't. They don't. They don't put them on a conveyor. Whatnot. They they're spun. They they you throw them and they they basically ride on a cushion of air to get to wherever they're going to. And that type of mentality for making those kinds of products, those those forty six eighties, that's the kind of technology you need to think about when you're when you're building them. And with kind of going away from that, I mean, obviously Tesla's been doing a lot just across the board with the cars and the stuff you're tearing apart. I mean, are there any other kind of manufacturer EV manufacturers that you're seeing that kind of is they're doing their own unique thing or that's kind of standing out or is it just pretty much all the entries that you're seeing are just kind of been not even in, uh, worth reviewing or looking more into. Um, if, if we look at battery technology and you look at, battery companies, there's some really interesting things that are going on. But the OEMs um, don't make their own batteries. Um, they want to buy this and they want to buy that. And so consequently, they don't have a, that, that's not part of their core competency. Maybe in the future, but certainly now, not now. Electronics wise, um, it's hard to beat Tesla. The only guys that I think could come close, there are some Chinese guys that are pretty good. But, uh, but I think the only company that could come close is Volkswagen. Volkswagen is the only one that, uh, that I look at and see um, because, you know, things happen. Um, um, as a consultant and whatnot, people are asking about this or asking about that. And so, and sometimes, you know, we, we get into a situation with a customer and they say, look, we can't hire you, but how about looking at this and just telling what we what you think, especially in, in this day and age where, you know, everything is, uh, you know, everyone's struggling. And from what I can see, the only one that really and truly has something that that's uh, unique or better or exciting is Volkswagen. That's it. I mean, and Volkswagen, as you know, owns Audi and Porsche and, and whatever, but, but uh, they, uh, you know, I think with, I think they had that diesel problem. And I think that yeah. the, uh, the diesel issue <clears throat> actually was a disaster for them, but it also forced them into looking at how do we get rid of this, this ugly stigma of being, you know, guys that are trying to pollute the planet. And so consequently, as they moved into EVs, they went in in a big way. And, um, you know, the, the Germans are very, very famous for um, coming up with good ideas and, and moving in a new direction really quite quickly, much faster than we see here. So I'm, um, and they're very inventive and they still have tradesmen and they still have lots of engineers that they're pushing out the door. We have a hard time. Uh, in fact, lots of, in fact, I've got, uh, I will tell you, I, 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 I hire 
foreigners because um, they're looking to get into the United States. Uh, they've been well trained and and if I could, I'd, I'd hire as many um, German um, German um, engineers as I could. They they uh, they they get excited about that. Germans and, and British uh, engineers. Do you, do you think uh, it's it's interesting that uh, what you're saying about Volkswagen because that's at least publicly that's definitely been really the message and the products they're announcing definitely aligns with that. So it's it's definitely interesting to hear that from someone like yourself who's much more to beyond the PR and marketing things and actually seeing the product and dealing with who's making the decisions and actually executing is, do you think, I mean, and that example you give is perfect where it is Volkswagen kind of had a, uh, a moment where they had to decide who they're going to be moving forward because they had such a huge incident. Do you, do you think that is really the only motivating reason that a domestic or some other auto OEM will really kind of, change the course of the ship to finally invest and kind of go all in because from a lot, at least my perception from what I've seen in kind of the, uh, at least the domestic auto industry. And once again, Volkswagen does have to deal with some of those European regulations. It's been more of a kind of tips, uh, putting the foot in to kind of test the waters and slow, gradual kind of release and meet whatever ZEV credit mandates that California or some state is requiring versus kind of making the full investment to go in. Do you think that's Mm. going to be what continues or do you think there is going to be something other than they realize that's the only thing that's selling that's going to motivate them to get into that kind of uh, space more aggressively? Okay. So there's a guy, his name is Joel Barker and um, he, um, he talks about something uh, called paradigms. They're the boxes that you live in. And, um, and Joel Barker says, uh, when a paradigm shifts, everyone goes back to zero. And, um, and I believe that that's where we are right now. The paradigm is shifting. And, um, he has lots and lots and lots of examples of people who saw that the paradigm could move, but decided to stay where they were and then basically vanished. Uh, one of the best is the um, is the uh, is the quartz movement watch that was invented by the Swiss. They chose not to get involved, and they basically walked away from the quartz watch because they had so much invested in the uh, in the gears in the in the fine detail that they could crank out inside their their shop, and so consequently they lost almost the whole market to. Um, Basically, uh, um, Texas Instruments and uh, Seco, uh, Seco Watch Company. I mean, blew everybody away. Everybody had one of these little watches. They were dead accurate. They, uh, you could get them stylish or you could get them whatever you want. But now everybody has a watch with a battery in it. And yet, the Swiss at the time thought that that was just ridiculous. Who's going to want to buy a battery when all you have to do is, you know, that kind of thing. I think we're, we are in that same situation. And, um, and, uh, I think that these guys, um, I think a lot of them are going to hold on in, and, uh, there's another thing that, uh, that it's, uh, it's called scotoma. It's where there's something right in front of you, but you can't see it. <clears throat> it's a psychological problem. And again, Joel Barker says, 
when the expectations don't match the results, people physiological can, physiologically cannot see the data. And I think that there's a lot of OEM guys that are into that situation. It's right in front of them, but they can't see it. So if you think about it, um, you know, maybe, uh, maybe you've gone into the basement looking for a hammer or something like that. You know, look around, you can't find it. And so you yell at your wife and say, they do move the hammer. And she comes down and she picks it up because it was right in front of you and you didn't see it. And that's because the brain has got power over the eyes. And if the brain says, I can't see you. No, it's not here. It's not here. Someone moved it. Someone moved it. You physiologically can't see the data. The same thing I think is true. It's true with happening. It's, is in fact happening with a lot of the OEM. The guys that basically ran into the barrier, uh, and I mean that sincerely when I'm talking about VW, they ran into that barrier uh, with the diesel problem. They had no other choice, no other choice than to move into some other direction. And uh, I call that the luxury of adversity. When you, um, when you're right up against the, the, the brick wall, your brain works a lot faster. I mean, it's one thing to sit in a hammock or like you say, put your toe in the water. It's quite another if you're, you know, in an airplane and it's headed for the ground and you're allegedly going to be the only guy that's going to be able to pull this thing out of the, out of the steep dive. You learn how to fly a plane in like about two seconds, right? If I pull it back, maybe, you know, that's going to, that's what's going to happen. Um, you're going to have, uh, you're going to have somebody like that trying to pull the, uh, pull the airplane or steer the ship in a new direction because you're headed for a big rock or you're headed straight for planet earth. Gotcha. Uh, shifting gears a little bit uh, from kind of the traditional automotive OEM on your channel, uh, you've been doing a lot of work with like Arkimoto and a few of these other kind of three wheeled electric vehicles. Where, uh, where do you see them kind of working into the kind of automotive landscape and being uh, option as more cars go from being uh, internal combustion to electric? Not everybody can afford uh, an electric car. Um, and so um, in my assessment of things, um, a small vehicle uh, with basically a third of the, um, of the weight associated with suspension is gone uh, is a good idea. And um, a lot of folks don't need the big, the big giant car. They don't need a Tesla Model 3 or a Model S or a Model Y or a Model anything. They just want to get from here to there. And, um, and I believe that servicing that market for those people who can't afford the big, glamorous, expensive product, there, there's a giant market there, a much bigger market. The small car market can be very profitable. And, um, and I think that uh, companies like, uh, you mentioned Archimoto, but we're also working with Nobay. So if we look at, th then they've already segmented themselves. So here we've got Archimoto, and they have the fun UV, FUV, fun UV, right? And, and they have a steering system that's basically um, handlebars. And they're going after a certain market. Guys that are, they, they want to have fun. They want the wind in their face and that kind of a thing. Plus, they can be also be a delivery van, okay? A cheap way of getting from point A to point B. 
Then we've got another one, another company, and uh, they're called Nobay. And Nobay's car is kind of like for mm, younger people, for sure. People who uh, would like to have something fancy to drive around in, but not necessarily break the bank. And they need something that'll um, accommodate their, their lifestyle. And their lifestyle is basically, hey, it's the weekend, let's go somewhere. And you can throw your stuff into, into, the, back of the, uh, into the back of the car and you can drive around. And if you happen to find, you know, a really nice place, a woods or something like that, or a, an overlook that is kind of like stunning, you pull in, you, uh, you can have your sandwiches or, or maybe a little barbecue or something like that. And then, uh, you don't have to take off. You can, you can just take the, the front seat and it turns into a bed and you can sleep there. I mean, that kind of, that kind of, um, the only word that I can think of is romantic and no engineers, any their engineers aren't romantic, but that's the only word I can think of. If I was romantic, that's what I would call it. So, but, but anyway, this kind of, uh, this kind of fun, um, and quick response kind of thing that's sitting there. And then you've got another company that we're probably going to be working with, um, called Brickland. Okay. So Malcolm Brickland, he had a car a long time ago. And now he wants this three-wheel vehicle that, I don't know, goes 200 miles an hour and, and on and on and on. This is, not, this is not what you'd expect out of a three-wheel car. But you know what? If we're going to develop, if we're going to, uh, develop gyroscopic uh, stability for a vehicle so it doesn't flip over and stuff like that, uh, if we do it for one, might as well do it for all of them, right? So all these guys, and then there's another one uh, called Indigo. Same, th same sort of a deal. They're focused on um, short runs, uh, like, a, like a cab or something like that, where you have a driver, or maybe you just drive it yourself. And they've got a, gi a giant amount of, uh, of uh, software that they've developed, plus a new suspension system. I see that the three-wheel vehicle has a lot more chance of getting ahead <laughs> than anybody going to join. Anybody that tries to go head-to-head -head with, with Tesla is a fool. I can't even imagine how they're, how in the world do you survive against this thing? Oh, we're going to make a car just like the Model 3 or the Model Y or the You're out of your mind. How, how are you going to squeeze into that market? What, what are you going to do that's going to be so revolutionary and different? And, and luckily, Elon said he doesn't want to get into the three-wheel vehicle market. That, that's, that was music to my ears. I'm happy about that. And all of the customers that we've got. So I think that the next big thing is going to be small. It's going to be a three-wheel vehicle. So that's why I'm in on it. And I've been pretty much, I've been pretty accurate picking the direction of markets for 35 years anyway. So. And, and do you think a big, point, uh, a big part of that interest and in kind of the tipping point for EVs is around cost? Uh, yeah. Is it? disrange or do you think that this will kind of play into uh that ability of being able to deliver evs and kind of gain that exposure at a much more effective cost point um the cost is definitely the barrier for most most people um uh for me i um uh, i mean i've seen pretty much everybody's uh, um ev um, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's Audi or Tesla or Bolt or whoever. Okay. 
but I've only recommended one. I've only recommended one so far. I didn't like any of the other ones, but one seems to be uh, an NASA model. Why? Because it drives it drives like a it drives like it's on on rails, and this drives like a train. You 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 point it, and that's where it goes, and it's fast, wicked fast, and it's um, I don't know everything about it is uh, is fabulous. Model Three, I wasn't so thrilled about. Um, I wouldn't dream of. None of the other ones are, are really in a price range where I think anybody could afford them for what you're getting. So was was that I've just the build one. quality with the Model Three originally, or what? What were some of the reasons that uh, kind of led you? Because the Model Y, even though you just or you mentioned earlier, it's cheaper to build, is right. still more expensive than a Model Three. No, it's not more expensive. It's it's higher priced. And yeah, I'm sorry. People make the yeah, mistake. Right. It's like the the cost and the price don't they don't they don't match. So I know that it costs less to make a Model Three or sorry a Model Y than a Model Three, but they've decided to price it at a different range. So they they've kind of said, okay, well we brought out the Model Three. This is a little bit bigger, even though it costs less. We should charge more because it's got more stuff in it and you can do more with it. Okay, fine. That's that's good. Uh, I like the idea. I have I have Tesla stock. I bought Tesla stock. I started off in April with uh, something like twenty five or thirty grand. It's worth one hundred and forty thousand dollars now. Well, where where am I going to find anything like that? I mean, I should have just I should have sold the company and just bought Tesla stock, and I'd be a gazillionaire by now. But but. The, the deal here is that they have an eye or an understanding of making money. And the rest of the guys, they're trying to save money, make money, save money. They're not the same. One means I'm going to take my money and put it in a sock and throw it underneath my bed. The other one means I'm going to make an investment, a big investment if you're looking at Tesla. And I'm going to take that investment and I'm going to eat this guy's house. It's, it's, it's a totally different way of thinking. And, um, and I know, I know why. Hang on a second. This, this is what I use right here for my business. This is called The Art of War by Sun Tzu. And I only, I only recommend one kind, the Thomas Cleary edition. And you only have to read the first 40 pages. You can understand this and you can take your MBA and set it on fire. Because this will win every time over over the top of uh, over the top of an MBA every time. You can't believe how many really smart guys I've I've beaten or like my customers are using this, and the rest of them have got these you know things that they get from the East Coast, and my guys win. How come? Because this is teaching you how to win, and the other one is teaching you how to save money. And it, they're not the same. So at the end of the day, um, he, uh, Elon Musk, he is a big fan. If he hasn't, if he doesn't read this every night, I'll be damn surprised. I really, I, I think, uh, I think he's really got a good grasp, grasp on what do we do to make money. And making money is totally different than trying to save money, which is what most of the other OEMs are, are going after. 
Well, kind of speaking of making money, for a lot of the domestic auto OEMs, a big portion of where their revenues come from is in the truck market. Yeah. Can you, like, looking at the Cybertruck and the uh, allegedly the electric F-150, where do you see this, or even other SUVs, electric SUVs coming out, where do you see this being as far as, do you think this will be kind of the final market that once this has gone electric or there starts to become electric entrance into it that people will finally start saying okay next time i go buy a car if they can do an electric truck this is kind of showing that this is a real thing and this is a viable option when i go to buy my next car okay so you mentioned the cyber truck and the f-150 they're they're not the same but right. the cyber truck or sorry the f-150 and the rivian now you've got an apples for apples kind of a deal and um and quite frankly uh, the Rivian, <clears throat> we know quite a bit about, and um, that will be a big competitor in the pickup market. And I mean that sincerely. That thing does stuff that um, uh, no no pickup truck could ever do in a million years. Um, it's it's ultra fast. And, not to cut you off, but when you say that, you're talking about an internal combustion engine electric truck or are there other yeah, things right. that Rivian is doing in particular that's unique to electric trucks that are about to come out? I don't know of anybody who's got an electric truck that's like Rivian. Okay. Um, they can, uh, they can do a tank turn. Uh, nobody else can do that. Um, yeah, and by the way, um, I, I drive a, a Jeep Rubicon and um, <clears throat> that, that type of a turn would come in very handy um, if you if you do off-roading like I do, especially if you come over a hill and come down and look down and say, ah, I don't want to be here. Uh, that tank turn thing could be very, very handy. So I think that from a um, off-roading standpoint and from a pickup truck to pickup truck standpoint, the conventional F-150 and the, and the, and the Rivian, uh, there's really not, there's no comparison. Um, it's going to be very difficult for for Ford or anybody else that's making like Silverado. I I don't know <clears throat> I don't know what I don't know what happened over there, but uh, but the uh, the Silverado uh, really doesn't have a prayer compared to uh, compared to the Rivian. I don't know what GM and Ford and uh, and uh, and Ram are doing uh, about coming up with a truck, but boy, I hope they. Um, I hope they're doing something in a hurry. Now, you mentioned the Cybertruck. Mm. There is nothing in the marketplace like that. Um, if you are a hunter, and I am, and uh, or you or you like quads and things like that, my wife won't let me do that anymore because I broke both my wrists. And uh, she said, don't do that. So anyway, um, I don't do quads and bikes, but I will tell you that uh, that uh, it, it doesn't take long to see the advantages that you've got in that, uh, in that vehicle with that timbre door and whatnot. I, uh, I can tell you flat, I can see me, um, you know, um, driving out into, uh, into the back 40 to go deer hunting and, uh, closing up the car, turning on the heat, going to sleep. And then the next morning waking up and, uh, walking for, you know, like 10 feet to get into my blind or get up into my blind. Cause I usually, 
hunt from above. Anyway, I, I love that idea. And when it's time for uh, time for lunch, I don't have to troop all the way back through the woods and hey, I'll just um, I'll just have something right there. I can, um, uh, uh, you know, it's got plugs. I'll just plug in a, a hot plate or whatever. If I want to, I can have pancakes. I, I, I'm telling you, uh, th that truck, that truck, if, uh, if I was, um, if I was going to say, um, it's going to attack an industry, it's going to be the, uh, it's going to be the off-roader, the Jeep kind of, uh, kind of a product. With, that, uh, with, with kind of a comparison to that, um, you, you mentioned the the bed or the kind of how the gate on the back of the bed folds down is one of the reasons why. Uh, but besides that, you, you oh, mentioned no, no, how no. it's not just that. Oh. No, so the the tailgate folds down, but the timbre door is the one that comes over the top of everything oh. that hooks into the tailgate. That right. okay. is what I really like. And by the way, we tried to talk two of the major OEMs into doing something like that a long time ago, and it was dismissed. So, but, uh, but anyway, that, that type of a truck, um, that's very appealing to guys who are outdoor outdoorsmen. I think they used to call them or something like that, but, but I'm telling you what, that would be, uh, that would be something that definitely catch my attention. Well, and I was that's just right. curious, uh, the reason I was clarifying was I was just curious why you don't think that would be as doable with the Rivian, but you're saying primarily, uh, the closing well, Rivian, back and yeah, Rivian has, basically focused its attention on being a direct competitor to um, direct competitor to um, the pickup truck industry. Yeah. And I don't really look at the cyber truck as something I would buy to be a pickup truck. Why, why would I do that? I mean, um, I'm not going to be hauling plywood or two by fours or what have you. Those days for me are gone. I'm not interested in that, but um, um, I mean, like I say, quads, bikes, um, hunting, man, that's going to be hard to beat that truck for, for what a hunter might right. want. No, and I think what's unique to that is at least the interest from people who are traditionally not, it's kind of opened up a new market. People who might not traditionally yeah. be truck yeah, buyers is. are now looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. A, it's a totally different market. And, um, and like I say, the closest thing that I can say to that would be something like the Jeep or the new Bronco that came out. Those are the only two things that I can think of where, and, but I won't drive my Jeep out and do that. I, you know, I'll freeze to death or I need to leave the car on. The, right. the electricity doesn't make any noise to keep you warm. So it's a, I like, uh, you know, I, I like that, uh, that prospect. And just, can uh, I realize we're coming a little bit, up on the end of the time. So I want to be respectful yeah. of yours. We've talked in on, on your channel, you talk about all sorts of really unique uh, technologies around manufacturing and what Tesla and others are doing to uh, be unique. What are some of the like manufacturing technologies that maybe you don't get a chance to talk about just yet on the channel around the automotive space or in general, maybe something you see on the horizon uh, that you find in particular has like a lot of potential or is really of interest to you? Well, uh, the big thing for me is, um, big thing for me is, uh, is um, um, solid state batteries. I'd really like to find out more about that. Um, the other thing is I'm, I'm 
really interested in electric motor technology. And um, um, I, uh, I was talking to a guy named, um, um, named uh, Tracy uh, McSherry, and he has, um, he has a new wheel motor uh, technology that I'm, I'm very interested in. Um, and it, it does things in a unique way. He uses a hull back array different than anybody else I've ever seen uses it. And, uh, and it looks like it has some real legs. So um, those are the, those are two things that I'm, I'm really, really kind of interested. The other thing that I'm kind of interested in is um, how to build a body <clears throat> um, out of carbon fiber that doesn't put you in a poorhouse. Um, so I know that, um, I know that the I-5 and the I-7, which didn't get built, um, used uh, some pretty fancy new uh, techniques and technologies. And, um, and I know that, uh, that they, they made their product so strong that they, they basically didn't have to have anything except for the, uh, except for the floor of the product. That, that, that's very interesting to me. I, I want to know how to do that kind of, uh, that kind of technology. Um, I know that the crossover point for steel, aluminum, and carbon fiber, I know exactly where that is. And uh, because it's cheaper to um, buy tooling for carbon fiber, um, at least for the forming uh, of carbon fiber, I know that that's cheaper until you get to about uh, 20, 30,000 vehicles a year. Then after that, uh, aluminum takes over, and then after that, it's steel. You can't find anything cheaper than that. But I think that most of the cars are going to be coming out uh, late in, in the future at around somewhere between twenty and 50000 a year. After that, I think that uh, those three technologies, are, as far as automotive is concerned, they're the things that I, I'm the most interested in. But I'm also interested in something else that... Um, that uh, <clears throat> some people might find um, unaccept socially unacceptable. But I, I'm really interested in is um, micro-nuclear reactors and, uh, and also fusion. Now, there's a lot of us have been watching what was going on in France with fusion. Um, they can put in, um, say, uh, a kilowatt of power, and they get um, uh, six or seven kilowatts back. Now, MIT is saying that they're gonna be able to put one kilowatt of power in and they get 10 kilowatts back. That's, uh, that's pretty good stuff. I'm very interested in that. Um, and then we start looking at um, other propulsion systems when you get into space. So most people don't wanna to hear too much about that because they think it's all, you know, crap, oh, but- yeah, there's there's lots of stuff that uh, that happens that you can do right now that could uh, once you get into space you could use and uh, and it's just not ion propulsion. I mean that you got to have a tremendous amount of speed and then ion propulsion can keep you at that speed, but to get there it take you a million years. But I'm looking at is more directed energy kind of products, things that we use in defense contracts now that I think uh, could help us with propulsion and space in, space in the future. Um, I, I, there's a lot of things that I, uh, that catch my attention. 
Could you real briefly elaborate what that is as far as uh, the military aspects for space exploration? Well, it's uh, right now, when you talk about directed energy weapons, that's, uh, that's using, um, that's using microwaves or lasers or things like that to uh, repel an army. Um, but I believe uh, that we can, um, we can use that same technology in space to rapidly propulse um, whatever spacecraft you've got. As long as you're out of the atmosphere, away from Earth, Right. I think uh, I think we could come up with things that could make a big difference as far as um, as far as moving from um, say orbit around the Earth to Mars or wherever we wanted to go. Gotcha. And uh, just finally, real quick, uh, are there any innovative ways that you think industry or government can accelerate the rollout of EVs and battery tech better? Hmm. Yeah, there's all kinds of them, but uh, but. It's not so much is there techniques and technologies that can make it happen. Um, who's going to sign up for it? It's going to be hugely unpopular. I mean, what what uh, what leader in industry is going to come along and say, "Well, we're moving into making electric motors, and uh, by the way, we're shutting down all our ice factories." <laughs> that's uh, that's bold. Um, that's that's going to be tough. Or, you know, it's just like anything else. Uh, government says, wow, we make jobs. No, you don't. That's baloney. Um, maybe you can get out of the way when somebody's trying to make a job, or maybe you could give them a donation or something. But they don't really make jobs. They, they kind of um, take credit for them, but they don't make them. Um, so government really, the things that they can do sometimes are things like um, they can impede your progress in certain areas or they can um or they can like right now if you buy an ev um you get a you get a bonus right somebody will give you um seven grand or whatever uh so those kinds of things can help out um but that's just meaning that they're helping ease the right. uh, pain as it were for whatever restrictions they've put in place um but i i don't think uh, i don't think government um, apart from that can really do much except like I say if they came out and said in the United States uh, okay tomorrow everybody's got to have an EV and that's it first off they'd, I mean so many people would be out of a job it wouldn't be funny and uh, you'd wind up with the same situation they, they're going to get in Europe which is what do you do with those people well you just send them home and pay them forever mm, that doesn't sound like a smart move but hey what do I know I am I'm only an engineer. So that's, well, that's kind of what I see. Anyway. No, and I, I appreciate that. And I, I think with that, um, I think it's probably best to kind of wrap up. I know you mentioned that there's something that you may want to announce about your kind of upcoming oh, goals to try and promote yeah, uh, people yeah. on your channel to mention real quickly before well, we go. Yeah, sure. Um, so we're approaching uh, the magic number. I, I was told today that we're, we're looking at uh, over 90,000 or somewhere around 90,000 subscribers. I don't pay attention to this. And I've never really, I never really felt that I should go and try and promote it. But uh, 
<laughs> I may own this place, but I don't run it. So anyway, um, <laughs> we we thought, or I was told that it'd be a good idea if um, if we had some little contest. So so what we're going to do is we're going to ask for everybody to try and subscribe. And um, when we hit a hundred thousand subscribers, we're going to pick a name out of the hundred thousand, and they're going to get. Oh, I can see right through this thing. They're going to get this uh, wonderful Tesla Memento. Okay, so the Tesla Memento is basically um, a um, the cover over the top of the disc brake. So uh, you can hang this on your wall, or you could put my picture inside here. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so, I'm uh, sure that's so the frame that everyone's down to get. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you are. So anyway, um, yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna give that away when we hit a hundred thousand. So I was gonna do it in one of our upcoming uh, events, uh, upcoming um, videos, but uh, being as you were here and um, and uh, uh, we just, I just thought it might be, uh, might be cool if, if we, we made the announcement here for you. So, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And we'll definitely be sure to make sure anyone who's listening definitely uh, starts following you as well, because I've personally really enjoyed the content and some of the insights that you and your team have definitely shared. And I, I think it's great as we kind of discussed today, how it is starting to at least not only get people uh, really talking about it, but it's, it's definitely getting people to really actually start getting interested in manufacturing and seeing what they can do yeah. to really yeah. be a part of that again, domestically. So I, I just want to say uh, thank you so much for your time, Sandy. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. It was a pleasure to speak with you previously on our uh, special with AutoLine, and we look forward to talking with you soon. Just in final, if there's anything that um, people have questions or they want to learn more about you and your services, uh, you mentioned probably the best is sales at leandesign.com, but are there any right. other areas where people can find out more about your work? Well, if you go to leandesign dot com just leandesign.com then what you can do is there's a ton of articles and um and it it'll send you on to all the videos that that aren't on um uh mineral life so there's other speeches and things like that that i've given but it'll also show some examples of before and after things that we've worked on that uh, that have helped customers and um uh to uh to get better products so we're kind of a little bit famous for uh, for doing work on car kinds of products but we got much better examples um much more dramatic examples when you start looking at aircraft we worked on the uh, 787 extensively um or um or uh, medical devices we've got um 30 or 40 different medical devices where we um reduce the cost but more importantly increase the, the features that uh, that help save lives. So, um, so we would be uh, we're we're up for we're we're always interested in uh, in working with customers that are outside of the uh, outside of the automotive industry as well. So, and I just mentioned Mydia. Um, I mean they they got so big so fast that, that they actually went out and bought KUKA. They own KUKA robots because we were training them on how to design for robots, and they they jumped into that. So. So anyway, yeah, we'd be happy to happy to uh, talk to anybody that wants to get into or have their their product um, optimized for uh, for quality or 
cost or labor reductions or what have you. Well, thank you so much, Sandy. I know uh, I've learned a lot today. I hope people those uh, have been listening have learned a lot. And I can't recommend your channel enough and just kind of following the insights that your team has. So uh, with that, I'll, we'll <laughs> take it off from here and we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you. Very nice. pleasure. Thank Bye. you. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to visit our website, connectingthegrid.com. There you can listen to our podcasts, contact us about sponsorship, or even be a guest on Grid Connections. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a positive rating on your favorite podcast or video streaming service. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out a lot too. Thank you again, and I look forward to us learning more together soon.